This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This is contacttalkradio.com. Consciousness in action. And you are taking action into your consciousness by tuning into Contact Talk Radio. And on tunein.com, hang.fm, and upsnap mobile. Contact Talk Radio. Welcome to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. My mama told me when I was young, we're all on superstars. She pulled my hair with my lipstick on, in a glass of covered wine. Good morning, everybody. Thank you so very much for joining me on this lovely Friday. I am so, once again, blessed and honored to have such a phenomenal guest here today. Uh, this one in particular is near and dear to my heart and to many who would be listening here to the radio show. This is Carpe Diem with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Uh, the reach and the expanse of this show is 145 countries, 220 TV radio terrestrial satellites, and of course the potential for millions of iTunes downloads. And so what I'm going to do, as I always do before I turn it over to my guest with unscripted dialogue, is I'm just going to plug a little bit about my guest, just some background uh, for people in other four corners of the world here. So my guest today is Steve Parton. Now, who is Steve Parton? Well, since the early 90s, Steve Parton has been writing magazine articles, technical documents, business manuals, software manuals, teaching syllabi and music instruction books, all of which duly entertain the writer, providing the said reader was looking to play guitar, operate a sound system, or perhaps run a music school. None of these topics, as it turns out, came even close to garnering the attention of Steve's children. Hence, Steve's foray into fiction writing. One evening in 2009, story time in the Parton household took a bit of a different turn when Steve's son and daughter, age four and five respectively, wanted a chapter book read to them at bedtime. This was soon to replace the standard beloved fare as was Dr. Seuss and the Bernstein Bears. By the end of chapter three of the aforementioned chapter book, Steve and his kids all agreed that the novel was pure drivel. The actual phrase used was kind of stupid. <laughs> After the kids fell asleep, Steve sat down and started typing what was to be his first book in a series written for his children. This time, there would be no torturous words like syllabi, no technical schematics, and no quiz at the end. Four weeks, three rewrites, 8,000 words, and 14 chapters later, Steve emerged with his first completed novel, Lost and Found on Mars, now required reading by all of Steve's kids' classmates and at least a few children from the neighboring schools who are read the story by their parents or who are old enough to devour a chapter book alone. Steve has also written three feature-length screenplays and has written and directed five short films, most of which were featured over the years at the Hamilton Film Festival. Wow, Steve, that's quite the accomplishment. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Welcome to my show, Carpe Diem. It's so lovely to have you here. And I know that we've been trying to coordinate this for a little while now, so I'm just grateful to have you here today. How are you feeling? I feel it's a great day today. Excellent. Excellent. So, Steve, what I always like to do uh, with all of my guests, I'm always interested in the backstory, the inception of one's journey, what got them along the lines of the path of what it is we're here today talking about and what we, people would recognizably know people for, either by name or accomplishments and or both. So I would really... Uh, really be grateful to you if you could kindly let the listeners and myself know, you know, as far as the musical journey itself began, do you want to take us back to the day when you came upon your first instrument, where that interest came from, and perhaps uh, if that was self-directed, if it was something you sought out, or if it was something that somebody saw in you, and uh, and take it from there? Well, when I was 10, 
my friend and I started making movies, uh, Superman movies, actually. I had a Superman costume that I made myself, sewed it up, took a, a red towel from my mom's linen closet, and um, and p- blue pajamas, and put put an S on the chest, and I was Superman. Yay! So we, yeah, we started making making movies around downtown Hamilton and having a great time of it. And then one day we decided to become rock stars. Both of the exact words. <laughs> we, we were both ten, and um, there was a music store right around the corner from where I lived. So. I'd asked them about guitar lessons, and my mom said that she'll pay for it as long as it's no more than $5 an hour. Well, it turns out it was $6 for half an hour, so my mom instructed me to get a job. Wow. So I had a job t- uh, delivering the Dundas Star newspaper, which paid six fifty a week. So that was 6 bucks for my lesson and then $0.50 cents left over for comic books. So that was helping <laughs> I started. Fantastic. And so what was the instrument of choice for you? Guitar. Guitar. Yeah. Okay. And how long did it take you to feel like you had comfortably started to master it or know know everything that you would need to know to comfortably call yourself a musician? Oh, after the first lesson when I learned the open strings, I figured I was good to go. I could write songs out of that. Wonderful. There, there, there was never a, a question of of um, uh, step one, step two. It was just the end goal from the, from the mind of a 10-year-old was right at the forefront. This was... We are going to become rock stars. How do we do that? Well, we need to start by taking guitar lessons. We do, so I did that. My friend did drums, and we we, we were a band. We we were awesome, but we we, <laughs> we we were playing Rush right from the beginning, um, poorly, but we still played it. Fantastic! And so, can you take us down the path of how you started up your own music academy? Yeah, I am. Um, I was in uh, BC for four years because you may not know this, but there's a there's a bylaw in Dundas. It says that between high school and marriage, you have to move to BC for a little while. <laughs> so that's what I did, and I, again saw all sorts of uh, Dundas and Hamilton people out there when I was there, and um, I ended up working at a music school there, which was which was a, a great school, and I ended up becoming the assistant manager of it. Learned a lot, and when I came back to Dundas in '99. Um, with what I learned, I opened up my own music school called Avalon Music Academy. And at the beginning, it was pretty much just a matter of putting the word out, Steve's back in town, who, who, who wants to learn music? And, or at the same time was, who wants to come to the school and teach music? So we put a roster of teachers together and it just grew from there. It's been great. Well, I just want listeners to know, um, I'm immensely grateful to Steve for a lot of different reasons, but when my son last year endeavored to learn how to play the drums, it was a no-brainer that uh, he was going to be enrolled and registered at Steve's Academy. And uh, not only did uh, Steve accommodate my son uh, beautifully and welcomed him aboard and, you know, and very much deciphered that he was a bit more of a, a quiet child, maybe needed a little bit more encouragement to step into things a little bit. But Steve also took it upon himself to set up a set of drums in my basement so that my son could uh, practice in between his teaching sessions with Steve and his staff team. So I just want to say to the degree that you take things the extra mile and make people feel welcome um, and really go out of your way, I just want to say thank you, Steve, because I know it's not just for myself and my family that you've done that. You pretty much do that for everybody you encounter, and that's why I believe you're so loved in this town. Hmm. Thank you. Well, thank you. And, you know, one one uh, little tidbit that you neglected to mention in your bio that you kindly gave to me was the book that I uh, graciously received from you, The Secret of the Ossuary. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is that um, before it was a novel, it was a screenplay. And I had written screenplays about music because that's what I do, that's what I know. And... Um, I, 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 wrote, I had written two of them that were rock and roll stories, and, and it's, it's the kind of movie that, if, it, if they ever get made, will be fun movies, and you probably forget about them by Monday. And um, I wanted to come up with something a little bit deeper, a little bit bigger, a little bit better, and so I, I, I thought about uh, a story with a, a little bit of Da Vinci Code and a little bit of Indiana Jones, and... Of course, that means a time travel story. Mm-hmm. And the, the the tricky part about a time travel story nowadays is that audiences are much smarter than they were 25 years ago. 
back then it was simply a matter. The, the tricky part was how do I get my characters to travel back in time? And 20, 30 years ago would have been easy. They go into a, a, a phone booth and then it flashes and all of a sudden they're in this year and they can go up to someone and say, what year is this, my good man? And, <laughs> and, and, and everybody would accept it. But uh, now it doesn't work that way. So I have to come up with something a lot more complicated and a little bit more believable than a phone booth for um, uh, traveling back in time. Right. Well, I, I'm really grateful for the book, and I'm really uh, excited when I have a little bit more time. It's going to be – I mean, my list of books by my bedside table is huge in terms of what I am just chomping at the bit to get into, but yours is certainly at the top of the pile. And both my children, who you know, keep looking at it. They recognize your name because they can read, of course, and they're like, when are you going to read Steve's book? <laughs> Well, so, uh, yeah, so I just, uh, I want to thank you very much for that lovely signed inscribed copy that you've provided me with, and um, and I appreciate it greatly, Steve. Thank you. Welcome. Well, it, uh, before I, I published it, I started, I started with an ebook, and so I was trying to find beta readers. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? You don't, yeah. You don't write and publish, <laughs> right? You write, edit, 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 beta. Yes. Edit, 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 beta reader. <laughs> Then, and um, so I, I didn't mean specifically to be sneaky, but I did something sneaky. What I did was, I I, I had my ebook, and uh, I just put out a um, a message to everybody I knew, saying, "I've got a book. It's a fun adventure story. Who wants to read it?" And all I ask is that that the beta readers they let me know if there's something they didn't understand, or if they liked the book or didn't like it and whatnot, and. But I wanted to keep track of who actually read it and who didn't. So mm-hmm. what I did was, I didn't send out the entire book. I sent out seven-eighths of the book. And right where it gets to the point where, will he live or will he die, OMG, it stops. Mm. And there's a note saying, uh, if you want to get the rest of the book, drop me an email, here's my email address. Very smart. Very smart. So I've got a list of the people who asked for the book. And then a separate list of the people who actually read it. Mm. The tricky part is it happened at Cactus Festival where all of Dundas comes out to see all of Dundas. And that's where you meet people you haven't seen since last Cactus Festival or since high school or whatnot. And people would say, hey, I got your book. It was great. And I'd think, wait a second. This person didn't read it. (laughs) It happened twice where somebody said, your book was great. And and I had to prevent them from lying. Even though it's a nice lie, it's still a lie. Right. I'll say, wait, 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 wait. Don't stop right there. I, I know you didn't read the book. Oh, I did. No, I know you didn't. Right. <laughs> so, there are a couple of people who sheepishly said, uh, yeah, now I need the end of the book. <laughs> okay. Well, that's pretty ingenious of you and very good marketing. Excellent. Yeah, well, they're just trying to be kind. Yeah, of course, and uh, and we know our we know firsthand, Steve, that the the town that we come from here, and I still refer to it as a town, yeah. um, even though by population we've kind of boomed into a bit of a city, and we've been amalgamated, merged here, now known as Hamilton Wentworth, but I still refer to us as a town, and uh, you know, you would know firsthand for what you've recently and ongoingly been going through, and we'll get to that in a second, but you know how lovely people are in this town, you know, we step up, we rally, we champion people, we're there in their time of need, we're there to celebrate their victories, um, help out with the families, help out with the kids, and I've always said oftentimes, whether it be social media posting or even here on radio, it truly does take a community. You know, it really, really, really does. And everybody at one point or another in their lives comes upon their time of need. And um, and I know that you have been very publicly open and expressive and very eloquent about the journey that you've been traveling with cancer. And I'd like to turn that over to you, Steve, to the degree that you feel comfortable sharing, knowing that, again, this is very expansive reach. Um What's been going on for you with that, and uh, and how are you feeling, and what's the mindset, uh, and what's happening for you? Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie that topic in with the last one. Because, okay. Um, with the with the the book, the Secret of the Ossuary, um, it started out as a screenplay first, and um, when I when I finished the screenplay, I actually had some contacts in Hollywood, and uh, I, I'm. By saying contact Hollywood, that's, that's a very vague expression, and I'm being vague on purpose. It wasn't Steven Spielberg or J.J. Abrams. So, 
there's nobody, nobody that's, a, that's a household name. But nevertheless, um, a couple of movie producers who actually took the time to sit down with me while I was in Hollywood and, and read my, my synopsis, my, my one sheet. And one of them spent a bit of time with me and he said, it's a great story. He said, Hollywood isn't interested in, in uh, brand new writers. However, if you make the story into a novel, that could get their attention. Mm. And at that, I thought, who the heck has time to write a novel on spec? Mm-hmm. It's a big, big project. And so I, I, I put it aside. I, I said, I, I don't know if I can devote the time to a novel that may or may not ever get published. And then something happened. Um, it was a regular Monday in 2013, drove the kids to school, came back home, and my leg was in pain, uh, all the way from my ankle up to my waist. Took off my pants and my leg was purple, like Barney the Dinosaur purple. Wow. My wife, Isabel, is, is a nurse, and she uh, brought me into the car, brought me to emergency, and we found out that um, uh, it was a blood clot. And what was weird was when, when so they sent me down for um, an ultrasound, and the lady doing the ultrasound was doing my, my torso. And I said, actually, uh, I think it's in my leg. And she said, uh, sir, please let me do my job. <laughs> and so I guess what had happened was the doctors had suspected there's something that caused the blood clot, and that might have been a tumor. So indeed, they found this enormous, ugly black mass on my uh, kidney, one of my kidneys. So he said, in about a week and a half, he said, you, you, have, you have cancer, and it, it's, it's aggressive, it's stage three malignant, it's got to come out, that your kidney has to come out of you right now, like in about a week or so. So the next day I was off seeing the, the surgeon and he said that there's a 40% chance that I won't wake up from the operating table. Uh, he said it's pretty severe stuff. Um, when they remove the tumor, the blood clot might shoot up through and into my heart or lungs. Now that happens, I won't wake up and that's that. So he was, he was quite clear in saying you need to um, get your affairs in order, update your will and start working on your bucket list. So, Isabel and I spent one day only preparing for death. And uh, my brother's a lawyer, so we, we updated my will and we did power of attorney and all the basic boring stuff. I, uh, I've got my music school to look after, so I, I um, signed a three months worth of paychecks just in case I'm not going to be around anymore. And um, the neat thing is I, I sent an email out to all my teachers letting them know what's going on and, and asking them if they can help by taking up some of the slack and running the school because normally the teachers all they do is they teach music where I administer everything mm-hmm. and then I sent out a very difficult to write letter to all the parents of my students not just my students but all of them in the school and I said um don't know what's going on um just keep showing up for lessons <laughs> and uh, um if you have any questions try to talk to your teachers and see if you can deal with that but I'm, I'm going to be away from the office um, for a little while. I don't know how long. And what happened was two of the moms called me up and said, um, well, they got the two of the moms got together with each other, and they called me up and said, give me the key to your office. And they took it over, and they ran the show. They said, we need your password for your voicemail, and they ran my school. Lovely. It was It was fantastic. Lovely. So one of the things that the surgeon had said was, uh, assuming you come through the surgery, the, the recovery process is going to be long and slow, at least a couple of months. So make sure you've got lots of books to read. And I said, or a book to write. He said, well, <laughs> read, write, whatever. He said, no, 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 not whatever. This is an opportunity. This is, this is God. This is fate. This is saying, you've got a book to write. And so you're, you're, you're claiming that you don't have the time to write it, is now silly. So it, 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 it's a bogus claim now. You, ha- you have no choice but to write this book. So um, I uh, was successful. Uh, well, the doctor was successful in the surgery. And um, so I, I, I brought my laptop to the hospital, knowing that I was going to be there for seven days. And I thought, so surgeries first thing in the morning, get out there by noon in my recovery room for one, grab some lunch, pull up the laptop, and start working on the book. <laughs> it didn't work that way. Mm-hmm. Um, it, was, it was a good two weeks before I could even sit up <laughs> mm-hmm. about writing, but I did, and and, and I took 
next several months, and um, like I couldn't really get up off the couch too much, and I, I, I wrote this book. Um, when I finished it, uh, it, it well, you know, you know, you don't finish a book, you you stop editing it. That's right. Um, a book is never really finished, and after a while, I decided I'd, I'd edited it enough. Mm-hmm. And I got together with three other friends from the uh, Dundas uh, Writers Club, who had also recently finished their books. So the four of us got to together to do a book launch, and this was fantastic. So we, we did it at my church, St. Paul's United in Dundas, and the idea was, well, we had no idea how many people were going to come out, so we invited everybody we knew, and we put it all over Facebook, and, and you helped push the book launch a lot, and we were very appreciative of, of you for that. Of course. So we we had it at my church, and we, we set it up in the in the parlor. We had no idea how many people were going to come, so the parlor fits about 60 people, so we we put 40 chairs there, and um, uh, 15 minutes before the launch, the parlor was full of people. And then the ante room outside of the parlor, that was full of people. And then the library through which you have to pass to get to the parlor was full of people. We realized it was getting out of control. So before we even started, I went out to the, the church sanctuary where everybody goes of a Sunday morning to make sure that nobody was in there, and and it was it was open. So we cranked up the lights, turned on the sound system, brought everybody in there. It, it holds 800 people, and it was two-thirds full. Wow. We had originally set out 40 chairs, but we had about 500 people come out. Amazing. Not, I mean, not for a rock concert, not for a wrestling match, not <laughs> a baseball game, but to hear people read from the books. Mm-hmm. And we were so excited about that. So... Um, I had had my novel that I was going to read through, to read from, but at the same time, um, uh, my second book is my journal that I, that I, that I kept at the hospital. Um, when I when I said that I was going to write my book in the hospital, and although that didn't happen until I got home, um, I had all sorts of adventures. Yeah. Can I curse in this show or no? Yeah, I say f fuck all the time. Go ahead. <laughs> Um, the, I, when I was in the hospital, I went through all sorts of shit. I had amazing doctors and amazing nurses and a couple of fucked up nurses who tried their best to make it my stay as miserable as possible. Really? Uh, so, um, I pulled out my iPhone and I started dictating a journal right then and there. And, um, 30,000 words later, um, I've got uh, another book. It's not, it's, it's not done yet, only because I still have cancer, and I, I've been I've been chronicling the journey. Um, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, there's, there's a lot of humor there, and there's a, a few things that make people go holy shit. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, I'm I'm going to finish the book when the cancer is gone. Good for you. Good for you. Well, two things I want to say to that, Steve, and I just want to say, um, are you all set up there properly? Because we can hear movement and distraction and stuff. Are you okay there? Yep. Okay. So two things I want to say. One, going back to that lovely uh, story about everybody coming in the 40 chairs and then the parlor and, you know, the, it being equipped for 800 people and it was two-thirds full. Um you know, to me, there's, you know, I, I can see for you, anybody who is in that position, anybody who's on the receiving end of that kind of love, that kind of being embraced, uh, that kind of support, especially within the community that we live in, Dundas, no surprise. You know, for you, yeah, we all get touched and we, we have a bit of a moment, a surreal moment, like, oh my goodness, like I, again, put out 40 chairs, maybe expecting that some of those 40 chairs would be filled. Um but, you know, Steve, you know, I don't quite realize, nobody really quite realizes to the degree that they're loved. And this is why I love talking to people about this stuff while we're all here. You know, um, oftentimes it takes a tragedy or it takes some kind of um, unfortunate circumstance uh, for people to celebrate and, and commemorate and to talk about what somebody meant to them in their lives. And so... I think it's lovely when people do that when people are alive. You know, we are here to support one another. No surprise to me for what I know people think of you and the regard that they hold you and as well as myself very, very dearly, uh, that you would have that kind of a reception. 
that you would have that kind of a moment, which you earned and you deserved. And for all the times that you have paid it forward anonymously to people, publicly to people, um, no surprise whatsoever that that was the turnout that you had. So that's the one thing I want to say. The second thing that I want to say is um, what I really love about you and people like you uh, and again, this show is about personal empowerment, personal development, relinquishing fear, embracing passions. What I love about your spirit, Steve, and this is why I think that you resonate for so many people, uh, particularly like-minded people, soulsters, manifestors, is, you know, you really, even prior to the diagnosis, for what I know of you and how you've uh, executed your life, how you maneuver and navigate your life on a daily basis and living and coming from a state of daily gratitude always, uh, you know, you are somebody who really does cherish the gift of life. And oftentimes we hear of those stories of where it takes a diagnosis, being told to get your affairs in order, to talk to a lawyer, uh, to, you know, get the documents in order, the power of attorney, all of that, the will, the rewriting of the will. Um, sometimes it unfortunately takes being in that situation for people to go, oh, my God, I have not lived there are so many things I want to do. There's so many people I want to connect with. There's so many people that I need to get closure with or I want to thank or I want to visit with um, or let other people know to the degree that they touched my life, touched my heart, and were pivotal in my journey. And, you know, I'm so happy when I hear and talk to people about the stories of that not being the case. You know, you lived your life like that. You have continued to live your life like that prior to the diagnosis. And, you know, even for what you publicly post and you talk about, you know, being sick 23 times and, you know, this setback and that setback and, you know, it didn't shrink, it's grown and all the different things that you have uh, been very raw and candid about and sharing publicly your journey with everybody. Um you know, you're still, like I talked to you on the phone the other night, and I mean, it was a brutal night for you the night before, and I, you know, the first question I ask you is, you know, how you doing, Steve? How are you feeling? And you're like, I'm really grateful, Lisa. And then when I asked you how things were for your family and how they were being impacted throughout all this, you know, you talked about the flip side of, you know, just getting on with life. You know, my daughter's doing this, you know, my kids are doing this. And I just want to say you are such a breath of fresh air. And when I think of all the people who, without your set of circumstances, without being what you've been through, through the medical gamut, um, you know, people who just don't enjoy or appreciate the gift of life. Every day is an opportunity to wipe the slate clean. You've got a blank canvas. Do what you want to do. Honor yourself. Step into it. And people who are just like so pessimistic and negative, and I I just don't understand that. And then you've got somebody like you who's gone through what you've gone through, and you couldn't be more grateful. And I just want to say, I just, I'm so enamored by you. I have so much respect for you. And, uh, we all here in Dundas love you very much, Steve. Thank you. I, you know, the bucket list. In my discussion with the surgeon where he told me the news, he said, work on your bucket list. So went home and realized that I don't have a bucket list because I've done everything I want to do. And um, so for, for the, there's nothing to do differently for the next week. Um you know, I've, I've traveled, I've, I've, all those things that, that, that you want to do, and I've, I've seen lots of good bands, and I've, I've, it, I spent the week doing jigsaw puzzles with my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it. There's, 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 there's nothing, nothing to add. Um, what I got out of, out of cancer was two books, and a hell of a good anecdote, or ten. <laughs> Beautiful. The the thing is, um, the cancer came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, the tumor was was removed, as was my kidney, and um, uh, and so I'm, I'm on uh, blood thinner meds and all and stuff. No, cheers. Um, then uh, uh, a year later, it went for my one year anniversary CAT scan just to make everything was fine, and the doctor um, said to me that there's a, a, a cluster of lymph nodes. And 
Well, I thought he said a cluster of nymphos. I said, sounds like a party. But uh, no such luck. What, what he meant was that so basically the tumor was back, but it's inoperable because it's too close to my heart. Right. Now, um, and then, then he sent me away to, to process that as we figured out what we're going to do next. And, and um, I, have, I have a friend of mine named Stan who's uh, heavily into alternative medicine. And so he, he, he started discussing uh, cannabis oil with me. And, um, how to, um, basically what, what to, um, uh, how, how to do it, what's involved, the legalities of it and everything. And so I was going to discuss it with my doctor. I didn't want to insult him by saying, look, I know you're an MD and everything, but I got a buddy named Stan drives truck. He says that, that cannabis oil is the, is the cure for cancer. I didn't want to insult him. Mm-hmm. But we had the appointment and I said, so what's, what's 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 the what's the next step what do we, we can't do surgery so what have we got so he said he's going to put me on chemo for a couple of years and i said and that'll get rid of the tumor and he said no it's just to prevent it from spreading too much um until something better comes along mm-hmm. and I said, that's it that's that's all you've got for me and i said all bets are off i explained to him i got a buddy named stan drives truck says says pot's the way to go what do you think of that and my <laughs> doctor said, well, if there are clinical trials about cannabis and cancer, I haven't seen them. However, it's possible that it's just placebic. I don't know. But if it makes you feel better, do it. So every two months I have a CAT scan. And the tumor was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. 20%, 15%, 9%, 12% shrinking each time to the point where my, my doctor said, I think there's something with this cannabis thing. Wow. So I've been doing other alternative meds as well. Uh, crazy stuff. Uh, dandelion extract and something called SEAC tea, which tastes like tea that's, that's been fermenting for a couple of years and sitting on the table. You should actually throw it out, but I've been drinking that twice a day. Um, uh, frankincense, uh, silly things like that. Mm-hmm. And you have to, I've been coupling that with the um, the attitude that runs through my bones that I'm not going to die at age 45 or 46 or 47, um, that uh, I have many, many more things to do, different from my bucket list. I've got children who need me, a wife that needs me, a town that I like to think does better with people like me doing shit and not staying at home. And... So I've got stuff to do. I, I, I can't die right now. Mm-hmm. So. Beautiful. And you're not going to. No. no. You're not going to. And, you know, so Steve, a common question that I ask all my guests, I shouldn't say all my guests, I, a good portion of my guests, depending on the way our conversations go, I'm always interested to know, you know, what is the legacy you choose to leave behind? How do you think you will be remembered? How do you think you will be characterized? And and what is it that you would hope that people would, uh, when reflecting back upon you, how would you wish to be remembered? As a giver. Um, the, uh, I get emails all the time from parents of adult children who went to my music school back when they were younger and are now musicians or they're now people who have their careers, their, their life goals, but still have a love of music that was nurtured at my school. And I mean, I eat that stuff up. I love, I love, I love hearing that. Cactus mm-hmm. Festival is great because I, I see former students all the time and it, it, it's neat seeing somebody that, that the last time I saw them, they were 13 and now they're 21 and they play in rock bands and, touring and putting out CDs and, and it, it, it's great. We, a few years ago, we started doing a, um, well, we've got summer camps all the time, like rock band camps, and, and um, there are lots of fun. But we started a movie-making camp about six years ago. And so it would be me, a video camera, and ten children. So I'd have a script that was kind of done with characters that aren't quite developed yet, and I present it to the kids and we finish it all together. And over the next two weeks, we gallivant all over Dundas, um, shooting this film. And there's so much fun. We'd have the, uh, um, 
the the local policeman was in all of our films. And um, uh, the, the first film, we gave him a tiny role, and he was great. So then we started giving him bigger and bigger roles with multiple lines and scenes. And and uh, he's not allowed to pull out his gun, so of course we'd have a little fake gun, a little plastic one with a red tip for <laughs> him to pull out. <laughs> and uh, he was great. It was so much fun. So we have a collection of these DVDs over the years of all these movies that we've made. And a lot of the, the same kids who were growing up in, 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 in the film. And... Nathan Fleet, who's a friend of mine who's the director for the Hamilton Film Festival, uh, which happens in September, he has a, a category specifically for student film. And the way he does it is that, uh, so far, every student who submits a film gets in. But that's, that's the whole tricky part about film festivals. They can only accept so many films. But they allot an entire afternoon to, uh, to kids' film. And they're great. Some of them are two minutes long. Some of them are 20 minutes long. And so my kids in the film, they all dress up. They all walk the carpet. Everybody gets a trophy. It's a little plastic dollar store type trophy. But everybody gets one. And the kids, after, after the films are all shown, the kids get brought up and Nathan interviews everybody. So what was your favorite part about being in the film? It's, it's, it's exactly what these kids see on the Academy Awards from a much smaller point of view. It's exactly what they do, and it's so much fun. Lovely, Steve. Beautiful. Well, I, I certainly respect and admire how you've chosen to live your life, and we talk about this on radio. It's a choice. You know, it is a choice. No matter what life throws at you, and we know that being human beings, particularly when we get to this stage in our lives, when we're in our 40s, you know, if it's not ourselves, it's people near and dear close to us, whether it be parents aging parents, ill, you know, ill parents, um, people who are passing on. And, uh, you know, so we're not immune to this. We know that. And the fact that you continue to show up in your own life, you continue to show up in the lives of other people and forever paying it forward and, and being of service to others, I just want to say that it's such an honor and a privilege uh, to be your friend and to know you, Steve. I have so much admiration and respect for you. Likewise, Lisa. And... Um, you know, so in terms of the bucket list, we, we've talked about the fact that you're coming swimming this summer, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the pool is open, and my kids are so looking forward to seeing you and, uh, and spending some quality time, both families together, which we're really looking forward to. So, and because the hour goes by so fast, we've got a little bit of time left here, but I think it's really important. I would like and encourage anybody who is listening, who either knows Steve personally or has been touched by Steve's story, for anybody who wants to reach out, anybody who wants to have your children draw a picture for Steve or send a card or, you know, to tell Steve to the degree that, you know, he has touched your life or been instrumental, pun intended, uh, in your life, your children's lives, uh, you know, uh, this this is the time to tell people. Tell people now. Tell people that every day. You know, don't put that on the back burner. So where can people reach you, Steve? What do you comfortably, in terms of contact information, what would you feel comfortable sharing here today? Oh, uh, it's um, uh, partonmusic.com or partonbooks.com. Okay. Fantastic. And, uh, and so what would you say to people, Steve, because you're very inspirational. Um, you know, whether people have cancer, don't have cancer, we're all afflicted by different things. Nobody's immune. Nobody gets a free pass from pain, from challenge, from adversity. So what, what do you say to people who are listening, who are perhaps grappling with something or, you know, they're just gobsmacked because they've just realized something that has altered their lives and it might not be with them directly, but somebody else that they care very much about and it's been quite jarring of an experience for them. What do you say to people in terms of uh, kind of a twofold question here, uh, you know, how to live one's life? For somebody who's sitting on the fence and they do have a huge growing bucket list, but they don't know how to tackle it or, you know, the, the issue or the question or concern of deservability, self-esteem, self-confidence, you know, do I deserve this? Um, or for people, because, again, a lot of my show and a lot of what we talk about is relinquishing fear. So for people who are, are struggling with trepidation, people who are struggling with confidence issues, uh, people who are struggling with perhaps a reeling from a shock that they're now dealing with, grappling with, it could be loss, it could be grief, it could be whatever. What do you say to people in terms of, 
your message, how to help people navigate and get over the hurdle? Well, whatever the adversary is, the adversity is, um, I really think people need to take matters in their own hands. Um, I'm lucky that I've got a, a doctor who I respect a lot and I admire. Um, and I don't leave things solely up to him. He's got lots and lots of patients, not just me. And so when I, when I see him, you know, he, he, de- he devotes his time and energy to me while I'm with him. But at the end, at the end of the day, I'm responsible for my own happiness. I'm responsible for my own health. Mm-hmm. So I don't put it on anybody else. Of course, I've got lots of questions for him, and he gives me good answers. Um, I'm, I'm all over the internet with, with, re- with research and whatnot, doing things myself. But the biggest thing is, I believe, when you look at things like that, that bestseller book, The, the Secret, mm-hmm. um, I, I haven't read the book. I, I've read the highlights. And there's some great concepts in that, that book that I think everybody could learn from about mani- manifesting your own destiny, manifesting your own happiness, and, th- and things like that. And But one thing that, that I believe a lot of people miss is the need for action to accompany your thoughts. It's, yeah. it's, all, well, it's all well and good to say... Um, uh, I need to believe for good things to happen. I, I, need, I need to believe that good things. I need to believe that good things will happen in order for them to happen. You have to believe it. I get it, but you also have to get up off your butt, and get out, and make it happen. You, you have to believe it, yes, but don't just wait for it. You have to, you've got to do it yourself. Bingo, yeah. bingo. Yes, and that's oftentimes the essential ingredient that gets left behind because we can all, you know, we can all sit down and write our to-do lists or we can all formulate our bucket lists. Uh, we can all, you know, when it comes to January 1st, people talk about their New Year's resolutions. People, you know, talk about and verbalize what their goals are. But you're absolutely right. It's not enough and you will never accomplish what you deem to be important for you to accomplish or to endeavor to do if you don't follow up with massive action. Yep. So thank you for clarifying that because that's a key concept that oftentimes gets dropped and then people wonder, well, you know what, I'm a good person, I have good intentions, you know, I pay it forward and and yeah, that might very well be true. And yes, I, I believe in karma and all those things, but in terms of what you want or claim to want to see show up in your life, you've got to step into it. You've got to you got to own it, and so I like the accountability piece that you expressed prior to going into that last segue of you know you uh, are dependent upon yourself for establishing and cultivating your own happiness, and uh, it's not just your doctor's responsibility, it's not just your family's responsibility or your community's responsibility. You're responsible for Steve Parton and what every 24 hours that each of us is afforded to have through having this gift of life, how that how that uh, plays out for you. So good on you, and thank you for expressing that to the listeners. That's very, very key. So um, now when you say that there's uh, – actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to switch gears here. So let me ask you this. I've always – you know, people would likely characterize you in, in terms of the way that I see you too and the way that I would characterize you, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, in my assessments and my beliefs here – um, you know, I, I, you've always been a man of substance. You've always been a man of character. You've always had depth, breadth, and width in terms of your demeanor, your spirit, uh, honoring yourself, um, embracing your passions. But when you get, when you get, and you can of course only speak for your own experience, but when you receive the news of put your affairs in order and, you know, cancer is aggressive and things like that, do, does that take you to a different level? Um, does it deepen or widen your understanding or where your mind or soul goes in terms of spirituality or contemplating what's on the other side, if in fact you even think that? Um, what does that do for you? Oh my gosh, what a heavy question. Um, well, I had it twice. There, the, the, the initial discovery of, of the tumor and finding out that in, in a week it's going to be, um, I'm going to be operated on, I didn't have time to contemplate anything really, it was it was it was the conscious decision to spend one day preparing for death, 
and the rest of the time living. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't even have a time to, I, I, I go to church and um, the minister at St. Paul's, Reverend Rick Spees, is phenomenal. Um, so I, 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 I called him up and he was on my doorstep immediately, sitting with me and my family. And so it was, it was, it was easy to come to grips with things because there was no time. It was, it was said, we've, we've got a week, just have a good time. The tricky part was going into surgery and saying goodbye to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and, and possibly for the last time. And that was absolutely surreal being, being on the, you know, waving goodbye and then getting wheeled out. And thinking I may never see them again, and then thinking they may ne never see Steve again. That was it was it was really weird, but but I, it was it was a success. A year later, when it came back, and this time being inoperable, then I've had loads of time to think about, to consider my position, to consider my responsibilities, my duties that come with this. Um, the, uh, the the doctor asked me if I wanted to be on a clinical trial, and I, I didn't quite know what that meant. And, all they explained was that, that the particular chemo that I'm going to be on is, is, a, is a new chemo. So the chemo would be free, otherwise it's near $80,000 a year. Mm -hmm. uh, so the, 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 the makers of the chemo would, would, would pay for it, I believe. And the, the, uh, in exchange, I would be a guinea pig for them. And I was all over that. I, I was so grateful at getting an opportunity to give back to make all this shit worthwhile because man I'm going through a lot of crap mm -hmm. and not on a daily basis from from, from from day to day I'm 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 fine but it's every couple of weeks where my body just shuts down and it doesn't matter that I'm in the middle of a gig it doesn't matter that it's 11:30 at night I've got two more sets with my band before we finish at 1:30 and I've got to go and bark a few times it just sucks Mm -hmm. But I've this is this is an opportunity to help people. So all the time I spent filling out extra reports for the, for the the clinical trial, um, extra um, visits with the doctor because they want to know everything. I turned that all around and said, "What an opportunity for me! I'm on a clinical trial, therefore I get to see the doctor every two weeks. If I was on a if I was not on the trial, I wouldn't have that opportunity." So, on one hand, I've got to notate everything because the, the makers of the medicine want to know exactly what's going on with me. It's it's a tiny bit of a nuisance, but that's it. I get to the hospital, and the doctor deals with everything with me because he's part of the clinical trial as well. It, it's his, it's his, his duty to see how things work. This doctor, when I first found out about that the tumor is inoperable, then I started researching the doctor. What's this guy about? I, I, I just did a Google search for him. And his name is Dr. Kapoor. And I found websites from all over the place, from all over the world, from other doctors who refer to him. People, uh, other oncologists who deal with, deal with kidney cancer in, in, in Sweden, in Amsterdam, in, in, in England. And they'd say, well, we discussed with Dr. Kapoor of Hamilton, Ontario, and he said we should do this. So that's what we're going to do. Wow. So that let me know that I'm in really good hands. And yes, this, you are. This doctor is a rock star. He's, he's smart as a whip. And so one of the things I did behind his back was um, when he said that the plan is for me to be on chemo for a couple of years until something better comes along, I, I, I wasn't happy hearing that. Mm -hmm. So I started looking up clinical trials on my own, seeing well, what other clinical trials are there out there. Like, I was happy to agree to his trial, that's fine. But I want to see if, if, because the medicine is to, is to hold things off for two years, what else is coming on down the pipe? So I did some research and I found that there are 500 clinical trials going on right now for my specific type of kidney cancer. Is that right? Yeah. So wow. one of them, the big thing is the, the Roswell Institute in Buffalo. That's the, the big cancer research center. So I sent them an email with all my, my stats. This is my age. This is the type of cancer I've got. It came back. This is what's going on. This is the chemo I'm, I'm going to be starting. Ten minutes after I sent the email, I got a phone call from the Ross 
He was saying, how soon can you come to Buffalo? We'd love to do one of our studies. And I said, well, I need to check with my oncologist first. And my doctor said, no, 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 no. The study that they want you for is a, is a, is a phase one study where it's for people who um, are, are at the end of the rope. Phase one studies, as I understand it, um, anything anything can go uh, can go well or poorly with them. So you only do that if you've got no other choice. You're at stage four cancer. You've basically been given a timeline. Then you can try a phase one phase one trial where they say, "Listen, this might very well kill you right away. So try it." Mm-hmm. Is the chemo that I'm on has three pages of side effects, and um, you know the side effect that bugs me the most. What's is that? I don't have my manly beard anymore. Oh, <laughs> crying, crying a river. But um, my my beard went white. My hair is fine. It's, 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 and again, I don't give a shit about that. I'll wear a hat, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I no longer have my manly three day beard. It's white, and you can't even see it. So. <laughs> anyway, you're hilarious. You know what, though, Steve? Unfortunately, we're kind of wrapping up here. But what I'm going to say is, never mind the beard. You've got the heart. You've got the spirit. You've got the tenacity, the perseverance. You are a warrior. And so for all that truly matters in terms of the characteristics that would embody a phenomenal human being, you've got it. You've got it. So I just want to say, Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure and an honor having you here with me on radio. I'm glad we finally got around to making this work. Uh, I'm forever inspired by you, as would be the listeners, as would anybody else we know mutually who would be uh, tuning into this. Um, and unfortunately, the hour always goes so quickly. But I am looking forward to seeing you and the kids and the family and your wife, your beautiful wife, coming over here for lots of swims this summer and being out and about for Cactus Festival and all the other uh, venues that would be going on that would put us on the same path. So if you could just very, very quickly, Steve, before we wrap up here, could you just let people know where they can reach out to you again? Yep, so at partonmusic.com and partonbooks.com. Fantastic. Well, my friend, I'll be seeing you and talking to you soon. I want to thank you again. All my best always. You know that. And for my listening audience, I just want to say thank you once uh, once again for tuning in to my show, Carpe Diem. I go live every Friday at 11.04 a.m. Eastern Standard Time with the Contact Talk Radio Network. Really appreciate your loyal listenership. Looking forward to being back here with you again next Friday. I want to wish everybody a phenomenal weekend. Have a a great day. Be safe. Love everybody. Love yourselves. Love and gratitude. Take care. All my best. Love you, Steve. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Carpe Diem with your host, Lisa McDonald. For more information, please go to Lisa's website at lisamcdonaldauthor.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.